Today, we are wrapping up a sermon series called Summer Stories. Summer Stories are all about those stories that we tell our kids and their values and principles that we want for our kids. But I find that sometimes as we get older, they're not for us anymore. So today, we're going to talk about a thing called joy. Now, for your kids, we always talk about joy, and we, we teach them songs in Sunday school. Uh, I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my... Uh, joy of Jesus, joy of Jesus down in my heart. And what's the chorus? Anybody know? I am so happy, so very happy. Yeah, you got it. I got the love of Jesus in my heart. Oh, in my heart. You get the idea, right? So this is what we teach our kids. But do we have joy in our hearts? Are we always upbeat and, and buoyant? As I look at my life, I can tell you, no, that is not true for me. But would I tell my kids to be that way? Or would I do everything that I could to make sure that my kids were happy? I know the answer to this because I've seen your Facebook posts. You will endure hours of standing in line at Disneyland so that your kids can experience some joy. I know this. You will, you will endure all the price tags and the, and the headaches and the travel. Are we there yet? Are we there? I got to go to the bathroom. You know, all that stuff so that you can have an experience. And this is a good thing. I'm not knocking this. This is an awesome thing. But sometimes we forget as adults that we have more to offer the world around us, other adults. And, and today I want to talk about that. It's about this thing called joy. So, quick quiz. There was a song that was released in 1988. I know, 33 years ago, but bear with me. It was released in 1988. It became an instant number one hit in the United States, in Britain, and in Canada. In fact, in all of the European countries, it ranked in the top five, with the exception of Poland, where it ranked 75th. I don't know what's with them. It, but it ranked in the top five. And, and it came out, it just took the world by storm. The performer won album of the year, song of the year, best performance of the year. It just swept everything. And so I want to see if, uh, I'm going to do a quick test here to see how your nostalgia is. But first, I need everybody to finger click. I'm going to see if you can fill in the blanks. Okay, keep clicking. If you can't click, all right, that'll work. But keep it going. So I want you to fill, when I point at you, I want you to say the two words that come to mind in this song. Ready? Here's a little song I wrote. Might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Yes! Yes! I had nightmares, folks, that that was going to bomb. <laughs> but you got it. Don't worry, be happy. Now, now, this is fascinating because this is Bobby McFerrin. It was the first song a cappella that made it to number one, with the exception of Poland or whatever. All right, but he did a music video. He had all kinds of famous people. He got instant fame, and it was an amazing experience. Now, the thing that fascinates me about this song is why was it so popular? Like, why did it just vault into number one? The first a cappella song with no instruments, just the body and the voice to go to number one. And I think you have to go back a little bit and backtrack. Why was it so successful? 
because of what happened in October of 97. See, the song was released in 1988. In October of 97, anybody know what happened then? The stock market tanked. Lost 22%, 508 points in one day, which at the time was a big deal. And in the video, if you watch the official music video, you can Google this, Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy, official music video. There's a segment where he's sitting in the chair and he's reading a newspaper that says Dow drops 508 points. And you think he knew what was going on when he made this song? This song resonated because people needed hope. People needed something to not worry about. And so he wrote the song Don't Worry, Be Happy, and he... He sang it with this uh, Jamaican accent. Did you know he's not Jamaican? He's not. That was an affected accent. Because the insinuation was, Jamaicans are don't worry, man, be happy. Yeah? So he, he did that on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's no dummy. Now, it, when it came out, it was praised by some people. Some people said, a formula for facing life's trials. This is so awesome. But then as it wore on a little bit, people began to realize the formula isn't really a formula. Because his answer to everything at one point in the video, he goes, look at me, don't worry, be happy. That's his formula. Just don't worry, be happy. How's that work for you? It doesn't work well for me. And the critics got kind of harsh. I'm going to share some comments here. Great, a bumper sticker set to music. This is what happens when you're a professional musician. Watch out if you ever release an original, all right? Uh, exactly the kind of mindless philosophy that Americans would respond to. That was George Carlin, the comedian. And here's the most, the most grating one. It's difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into suicidal despondency than this. Wow, that's kind of harsh. But you know the funny thing is... Um, it's true, because if you watch the official music video, let me go back to this picture. Who's the person on the right? Anybody know? Robin Williams. Do you know what, ha what uh, anniversary we just marked this past Wednesday, August 11th, is the seventh year anniversary of what? Robin's suicide. He took his own life. Apparently, don't worry, be happy is a vapid formula. It's not enough. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that there weren't other problems involved there, but don't worry, be happy is not enough to get us by. So there must be something more. The good news is we have it. We have something more, and the Apostle Paul is going to share that with us today, a sustainable formula, not just an empty formula. So if you're going to play the home game, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to park today. Uh, Paul is writing to encourage new believers and believers who are struggling a little bit. And Paul is an interesting character to write about joy. If you've ever followed his life, recognize that he's nearly beaten to death several times. He's left for dead. He's run out of cities. Uh, he's put in jail where, by the way, he sings praise songs at midnight. Is he on something? I don't know. But he is the guy who's writing about joy in this chapter. So let's read this together here. It says... Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Now, if we just stop there, that sounds a whole lot like Bobby McFerrin. Just rejoice. But Paul continues, and this is where it gets sustainable for us. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, 
and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Paul gives us a formula that will last, but before we dive into the formula, we need to understand what is it exactly that he's talking about when he says joy, because I think that's misunderstood and sometimes is confused with this thing called happiness. So what is joy? Let's start with what it's not. Joy is not happiness. And here's the way that I break it down. Happiness is more surface-level stuff. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. When my life is good, when I have a good meal, when I get to Disneyland uh, and there's no line, I'm happy. But when it's not so good, my happiness begins to be affected. And what the world will tell you is you need to be happy. And by the way, there's a, an entire industry devoted to making you not happy, so you will buy the products that will make you happy. It's called advertising, right? That's how they do it. They convince you that you cannot be happy until you drive this car, wear these clothes, eat at this restaurant, etc. But happiness is fleeting, and we're set up. Because even in the children's chorus that we teach our kids, be I am so happy, we expect happiness, and that's our indicator. And I got to tell you, we are set up as a nation to fail because in the Declaration of Independence, we pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. happiness. Where's the joy? See, we've, we've missed the mark as Christians. No, we haven't missed the mark. I think the world has, and this is where we have something to offer them because we have joy, and joy is different. Joy is not affected by circumstances as we go down here. It's below the surface. It's like the roots of a tree. Now, uh, I don't know if you had any damage in the latest freeze that we had. We had some trees that got nuked. I mean, deader than a doornail, nuked. Uh, brown as can be. I cut some of them down yesterday because I, I was going to say I couldn't take it anymore. I, Rana couldn't take it anymore. So that's how that works. <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> Joy. Anyway, um, so above the surface, the trees are completely dead, right? They're brown, they're ugly, they're no use. But down below where the roots are, if they were unaffected, those trees will come back. In fact, there's some green stuff popping up as if to say, oh, no, you didn't. I still got life in me and I'm coming back. So that's what joy is like. It's that thing that's below the surface. Now, let me, let me explain. We are not immune to the suffering and the sorrows and the sadness of this world because that's where we live. We live on the surface. And as things come, we get impacted because we're human. But it's like those old things. Here's another flash from the past. Anybody remember weebles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. So you may get knocked about by life, but if you have that grounding in Christ, you'll find yourself writing again. You'll come up right again. So we're not immune to suffering, but what it means as a Christian is that suffering does not have the last word. Not even death has the last word. How is that for something to hang your hat on? So I, I did something because I, I know the crowd, all right? I have a formula. It's actually Paul's formula. I didn't make it up. 
But we're going to share it in two different ways because I know some of you are left brain and you prefer the technical, and some of you are right brain, so you prefer the creative. So here we go. Left brain first. Here's the formula. Prayer plus thanksgiving minus anxiety equals peace. How many left brain people are digging this right now? Okay, good, good, good. Right brain, hang on there. Just go to your happy place for a second. This won't hurt. I'll be right back with you. All right, prayer plus thanksgiving. Now, uh, this is interesting because he combines those two, prayer plus thanksgiving. So I have to pray with thanks, but what if I'm not thankful? Well, there's an indicator that your joy may be suffering. We're going to talk about that in a second. And I like the way my elementary teachers used to say subtraction. It wasn't minus. It was take away. Anybody else have teachers that used to say take away? Yeah. So read this as prayer and thanksgiving take away anxiety, and you will get peace. This word peace in the Greek, I don't Greek out a lot, but this is important. This word peace in the Greek has the insinuation to set right again, to make it right as it once was. Jesus was a Jew. I hope that wasn't a surprise for anybody. Uh, the, The New Testament was written in Greek, but he was from a Jewish background. So the Jewish word would have had the insinuation of shalom. And if you know about the Jewish concept of shalom, it's a a restoration to what should be. It's the, the return to rightness, to set at one again. So what are we setting at one again? Hold that thought because I promised the right brain people that we back. Okay, come back out of your happy place, right brain people. Here we go. All right, what is this like? Okay, so prayer is like the thing that takes us below the surface. Because when we're going through hard times, if we ask our friends for advice, it's above the surface advice. We're in this together. We're trying to figure this out. We try to listen to someone smart. Yeah, that's great, but it's above the surface stuff. It's the prayer that takes us below the surface to where God can do his work. And it's not just the prayer. The prayer takes us into that different level where we can be impacted by the Holy Spirit. Now, what comes of that? This is why thanksgiving is so important because we have reason to give thanks. Think about the, the, if you want to think about it in the most simple terms, how many people were worried that the sun was going to come up this morning? Yeah, me either. How many people even thought about it? I did because I did the sermon. (laughs) That gives me an advantage. How many people are worried about the exact mixture of oxygen and everything in the air that we're breathing and we need to worry about the right balance so that we don't suffocate? Yeah, me neither. How many people are amazed that if I say I want my finger to move back and forth, I can make that happen? That's amazing. I can tell you from my recent experience with my eye that the surgeon said himself We can put it back, but we can never do it as good as it was originally. Like, yeah, that's because God makes perfection. So there's something to this idea of thanksgiving. Once we get below the surface, thanksgiving, we can't see all these things. I mean, we can, but we kind of ignore them. So thanksgiving is our way of bringing to the surface and remembering everything that God is doing for us and has done for us and still does for us. How many people are worried about where they spend eternity? (laughs) We have counseling available. (laughs) Yeah, 
so think about that. Now, if that's not something to ground yourself in, think about what Christ has already done for us. Now, that's a reason to give thanks, but that's not something that rides on the surface because this world, this world that we live in is so loud and so prevalent, and this is where anxiety lives. It's out there in the air, and it's everywhere, and it's worse than it used to be because now you've got the Internet, you've got these phones that we're, I call them electronic leashes, that we're attached to. We've got constant news, and by the way, the news believes that sensation sells, so they're not telling you the good stuff. They're telling you the, the terrible stuff. It's just this constant back and forth where anxiety is just like electricity in the air, and we pick it up if we pay attention to it. But if we don't, if we take away anxiety, we give it to God who's big enough to handle it, and, and I'm really good at giving my anxiety to God. But you know what I'm better at? Taking it back. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I need that back. <laughs> I need to worry, apparently. That's the way I'm wired. So the prayer gets us below the surface. The thanksgiving reminds us of things that God is doing below the surface, and now we can see it, and maybe others can too. The anxiety is something that we let go because it has no root. It is baseless. Let it go. Easier said than done, I know, but that's where it lives. And what's the result is this peace, this setting right again that is so far below the surface that this world can't touch it. This is why Jesus says, or Paul says, it's the peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that the world can't give you, and it's a peace that the world cannot take away from you. Jesus also says in John 14, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives you do I give you peace. This is the same thing he's talking about. It's untouchable by this world. It's deep peace. The interesting thing to me is if you continue reading, this peace does something for us. It guards our hearts and minds. So as you think about this cycle that we're starting to create, this peace will guard our hearts and minds, and pretty soon anxiety just gets pushed further and further away. I find it interesting that Paul chooses that to say it will guard our hearts and minds because what's the first and most important commandment? That we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. There must be something to this because there's the mind, all our mind and all our strength. That's like the whole person, is it not? It's, it's the physical piece of us. It's the mental piece of us. It's the emotional piece of us. God's got us covered. But our problem is, and my problem is, this world is so loud, and there's a tendency to pull us back up into the surface that I only hear the anxiety stuff. And it is so easy to get caught in that swirl of panic and anxiety and chaos that we forget there's something below the surface that we can tap. Now, I understand that in some cases it's a medical condition. And I'm not saying that if you just you know, believe it, you receive it and be healed. I, I think God can do that, absolutely. But sometimes medical professionals need to get involved, and that's okay. That's part of the wonder of this world that God has made is that people can figure things out and help us through these episodes. So if you are a person who's experiencing clinical depression or something that requires medical uh, intervention, I encourage you to get that 
and add this to it. But the majority of people that I encounter, it's not a medical condition, it's not a chemical imbalance, it's just an area of focus. Where we choose to focus. Are we focusing above ground or are we focusing below ground? Where God's peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know. We, we have to decide that. So that's what joy is all about. This is how joy is produced. And once we understand that it's the thing that cannot be touched by this world, it's a joy that never leaves us. Again, are we impacted by the things around us? Yes, absolutely. I get sad. I get disappointed. I get discouraged. But I'm a holy weeble. <laughs> I'll wobble, but I won't fall down because God's got me. And that's the depth of his love. By the way, uh, I hear it said that nothing can separate us from that. That's also Paul in Romans. So how do you know when you've got joy or what do you look for to know that it's arriving? Well, there's calm and chaos. How many people have experienced chaos in the last two years? <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, positivity and sadness. Now, this is not Pollyanna. This is saying, yes, I am sad, but sadness does not have the last word. Yes, I am sad. Uh, think of a great uh, funeral as an example. Am I sad that this person is gone? Absolutely. Am I affected by that? Absolutely. Might I shed a few tears? Absolutely. But at the heart of it, I understand that death does not have the last word, and that's the joy that weebles me. I think I just invented a verb. I'm weebled. All right. Confidence and uncertainty. This doesn't mean that we have all the answers. In fact, sometimes the best confidence is when I don't have the answers because that's when I have to turn to God. It's nothing that I can make up. God's got to do it because I've got nothing left. If you've ever been there and you've ever experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. Strength in weakness. His strength is way better than mine. And I have a lot of weaknesses. Now, now the good news is, God has a lot of places where he can work because he says my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God can work through me in incredible ways. And you too, I bet. And then we're encouraged when we feel like giving up. This is the one thing that I think we have to offer each other as we gather in community at WordServe. Sometimes it's easy to get pulled up out of that and, and be caught in that swirl. If you see a brother or sister that's caught in that, it's easy to, to come alongside them and offer them platitudes. That, that's the easy part, but it's not super helpful. The, the better thing is to ground yourself first and come alongside them. Maybe that's a community group. Maybe it's just a conversation over lunch or coffee. Maybe it's a, a weekly meeting until they get over whatever hump they're trying to get over. But just being a person of deep peace and, and being present for that other person is an incredible ministry. I can't tell you how many people that I've interacted with, and this is not, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to build myself up, but honestly, it, here's the truth. You probably never will sit down with me to counsel again. They came to me because they had some problem and they wanted counsel, and I heard their story, and I had no clue how to help them. Seriously. Like, I got nothing. I have never heard that before in my life. Wow. But you know what I did? Uh, I, I did the smart thing. I, I kept silent, <laughs> didn't say anything. I listened, and I prayed, 
and I continued to listen. I said very little, but I, I, my prayer is that somehow God worked through that presence because nine times out of ten, that person would come back to me and say, hey, thank you so much for your advice. Thank you for helping me. It's like I didn't do anything. You know what I did is I listened. I listened from a place of peace, and that's where I kept going. That's what my prayers were for is that, God, you would keep me in this deep peace because I'm getting racked by this. I'm getting rattled by this person telling me this, and I don't know what to do to help. I bet you can do that same thing. Now, one times out of ten, it is something that needs more control or some more help. But my point is, don't be afraid to be that person of peace, to come alongside someone and just say, look, I'm here for you. Lend a listening ear. Take them back to what's under the surface. Don't listen to all the, the rubbish in the air. So those are the markers of joy. Now, how do we, once we get joy, how do we keep joy? That's the next thing that we have to, to struggle with. Just recognize that there is a tremendous pull to get you up out of the surface or up out of the roots and into the air, right, to, to make you ungrounded. The world does this. The enemy does this on purpose. Just be aware of it, and you know when it's coming. You can recognize it, and you can go back and ground yourself. That's the beauty of this. We have control over that prayer and that thanksgiving and that taking away of anxiety when we let it go and actually leave it gone. We have control over that, and God will work through that. And like I said, if you have a medical condition, I'm not saying this is a substitute. I'm saying this is a great supplement. But nine times out of ten, it is a matter of where your focus is. Me too. Remember the formula when you get into trouble. And here's the reason why I think all of this is so, so important. And as I wrap up this sermon series called Summer Stories where we talk about this is what I want for my kids, but I don't live this I honestly think that a lot of North America has been in a, given a lot of American North, <laughs> let's back up. A lot of North American Christianity has focused on Jesus's for kids. Vacation Bible schools are great. And I'm not knocking kids' education because you've got to start somewhere. What I'm knocking is that we leave it there. We never take this Jesus who's for kids and recognize the rest of the story. Because when you look at the life of Jesus, he is very much for grown-ups. And there are very many grown-up discussions that can happen around Jesus. But do we own that? Do we go beyond that basic factual level in those vacation Bible school songs? Because if we don't own the grown-up Jesus, we lose the greatest story ever told. We might lose the capability for joy because we don't understand exactly what Christ has already done for us. Now, maybe you've lost that sense of joy. Maybe you had it at one time and you don't have it now. Well, let me tell you that this is not the right side. It's not the end of the story. Otherwise, it would not be the greatest story ever told. It would be the most tragic story ever told. The rest of the story looks like this. Christ's death did something for us. It allows us to operate under the surface. 
But the story doesn't end there because God is a God who restores. That is the piece that we're talking about, to set it right again. Do it again. If you've lost that sense of joy and you get below the surface, God can do it again. Maybe you've lost that first love, that, that love that you had for God. At one time, maybe when you were first a Christian, you remember what that was like. It was exciting. You couldn't think about anything else. Maybe you've lost that. Listen, God can do it again. Maybe you've never experienced that joy or that love. If that's the case, I would love to talk to you about a God who operates below the surface in ways that will change your life forever. He created us in paradise for a perfect relationship out of love. That's what he wants for us. That's not where this world is. But listen, God can do it again. God will do it again. And my greatest sense of joy is knowing that if I should fall on this battlefield called life, my commander will come get me. He will bring me home. And if he returns before that happens, even better, because he's going to bring everybody with him. He's got our back. See, that's grown-up joy. And that's why I call this particular sermon Joy Version 2.0. Because Joy Version 1.0 is nice for kids, and it's nice for platitudes. But Joy 2.0 will change your life, and it will change the world around us. See, that's joy that this world can't give, and this world cannot take away. Will you pray with me, please? God, I lift us up this morning because many of us are experiencing things that would tend to steal that joy. We're experiencing things that uh, don't make us very happy, that don't make us comfortable, that make us downright cranky, let's be honest. And God, as I look at this world, it's not headed in a direction that I think honors you. And I wonder sometimes what we have to offer that world to change the course of our direction. God, pour out your Holy Spirit here. Take us deep this morning. Help us to re-encounter that joy. You said you could do it again, then do it again. Show us what you have for us. Bring us back into that sense of joy that we once experienced or that first love that we had when we couldn't stop thinking about what you'd done for us. God, we, of our own power, cannot do this. So we're relying on you. You said you would do it again. God, do it again. Come, Lord, quickly come. In Jesus' name, amen.